0: I'll take anybody for a drink who wants one.
1: Well, I think you'll find that I put my heart into things when something's important to me. I think I told you already. I'm very well. Hey, Yankee.
2: Hey, go home. It's an American mean your name. By golly, you are an indecently lucky man. I said, shut up! Hey, hey, hey. It's like new.
1: But I don't want you running around just
2: kissing boys.
1: Well, I should be going.
2: From what I hear, you two must be very tired. Welcome to Mad Men Men, the weekly show where we discuss a show that used to come out weekly. Each week, we take a close look at an episode of the AMC series Mad Men, which ran from 2007 to 2015. And we're changing the conversation of the show all these years later. One of us is a first time watcher. One of us went through it one time back when it was airing. And then there's me, who refuses to stop watching it for reasons no one understands. I'm John Negroni, and I've always said that when you have no podcast, delay. Also here, of course, is Will Ashton, sporting an amazing new hairdo and black dress. Will, did you just get back from an Italian beauty parlor? Uh, I can neither confirm nor deny. And hello there, Mike Overholz. And let me just say, I I don't like you leaving us alone.
1: When you're going through those intros and saying how many times we've watched it, I swear to God, every time you're going to go, and one of us is a virgin.
0: I think we all know who that is. We get it, John. We're insignificant.
2: Our podcast doesn't matter. <laughs> this is a pointless endeavor. I mean, it's funny, though, that like, you know, you say that and, you know, we, we realized... Not too long ago, that like at this point, Mad Men Men gets more average downloads, daily downloads and weekly downloads than Cinema Holics, the podcast we've been doing since 2017 uh, about movie reviews. So I find that kind of funny.
1: Well, that could be due to a certain, uh, how you put it in Cinema Holics, guest of the show that's
2: right i called you a guest instead of a co-host maybe a small part of me because i did i didn't see that realizing what i was saying but i wonder if a small part of me said it just like out of like a subconscious sort of like i just want to create a a controversy with with my hurt him
1: i don't know or it's a subconscious of how many of these i've actually missed it kind (laughs) of is like i'm a guest
2: (laughs) Um, I feel like you've been on a good run lately. I like to think
0: that, you know, kind of similar to Betty and Dawn in Rome, where they kind of, you know, partially assume fake identities to kind of rejuvenate the spark between them and kind of have like a play fantasy. John was trying to rekindle the spark between you two by pretending that you were not his regular co-host, i.e. wife, but rather <laughs> a new
2: guest that, you know, anything could happen. How exciting. What a great segue into the sepsis.
1: Will, does that make you like the other Romans who just like want to fuck John? Yeah,
2: yeah, both of them, right? I guess. Well, no, no. I, I like to think I'm. Um, what's his Conrad name? Connie. Um. Connie.
0: <laughs> yeah, you like show up at the table, overseeing and trying
2: to ask how the room service is and whatnot. By golly, you are one indecently lucky podcaster, says Will.
1: What is the work that Don is doing while at the hotel? Just experiencing, just experiencing it.
2: Experiencing it. Yeah, yeah. That's it. Have you ever had a job like that, Mike, where they just, you know, pamper you? and?
1: (laughs) Well, yeah, I used to work for churches, John. That was straight pampering, lucrative, all those things.
2: Yeah, yeah, right. Um, The Souvenir, which is the eighth episode of season three. We're now officially into the second half of the season. We only have six episodes after this, or uh, five episodes, rather. And as we're going into the back half of season three, I I definitely think it's interesting that we start with an episode that's a bit slower in terms of what develops, right? There's not as much action here, not as much happening by way of like the overarching plots, although we could say that there is some progress made when it comes to the Betty and Henry stuff, which we're for sure going to talk about. But yeah, this episode was directed by Phil Abraham, longtime Mad Men director. I think this is his third episode of season three. Last one was The Fog, uh, which we, uh, I think that's when we had Ben Crew on. I think that was the last time that uh, Mike Wilson here. And uh, he also directed Out of Town, the first episode of the season. Uh, this one, uh, sorry, this episode was written by not just Matthew Weiner, but also Lisa Albert, longtime writer of the show as well. Although this is her first co-writing credits of season three. So The Souvenir, it's interesting. It's, um, you know, I I was... Listening to the director's commentary, uh, Weiner talked about the episode with Lisa Albert and Vincent Kartheiser, and he, he kind of talked about how this episode is constructed mainly of three short stories, two of them mainly focusing on the relationship of Don and Betty and how that compares and contrasts to the relationship between Pete and Trudy. But, you know, at first time watching, Will, what was your takeaway from The Souvenir? How did, how did this episode hit you?
0: Well, I mean, we often talk about uh, with this show, and particularly I think this season, the way that they sort of parallel storylines and characters, uh, particularly at a significant point in their lives. In this case, I think it was really fascinating to have this episode mainly be kind of a parallel between Pete and Betty. Like, Don, he's a, a main factor in the show but like he almost assumes a supporting role in this episode and I feel like that's kind of been a trend throughout this season is that like Don having been the central focus for the first two seasons is kind of often pushed aside a little bit to spend more time and more focus on these other uh previously supporting characters in the show to flesh them out to kind of get a better understanding of the world and the people that inhabit it. But yeah in this case we, we see two people kind of stuck in their marriages not really sure um where to go and they they kind of assume either like affairs or would be affairs they kind of like find themselves or to uh, kind of rediscover what they've been missing uh, in their lives. And obviously, they turn out notably different and uh, uh, certainly not similar in s- as far as the routes they go. But at the same time, they are kind of searching for similar ideas and sort of things that they're lacking for different reasons with their partners.
2: Yeah, that was that's very similar to my read as well, because I look at this episode as the, the kind of story or pair of stories that is really trying to to communicate what it's like to be extremely lonely and to try to fill that loneliness with Exciting romance, even when you're in a long-term relationship. And uh, yeah, I know, Mike. You know, you're not you're not a bachelor anymore, but you've been a bachelor. You've been in peach shoes. Uh, I think all three of us have, right? And so we've been in that situation where you know we're left to our own devices, and we kind of have to like schedule out our day. Rewatching this episode, do you feel like it was because when you watched it last, I think you probably were like a bachelor because you were much younger, right? So how, what was it like rewatching it now, like where you're at in your current you know day to day?
1: Yeah, I think it, I think it much more uh resonates now as someone in a long-term relationship than it did um as as a bachelor right cuz I just couldn't understand what it was like I I wasn't even I had never lived with someone at that point um I had dated people but like only semi-seriously you know you're too young for it to be anything real
2: yeah same um, here though like when I first watched it yeah I was like in college so <laughs> yeah. like I didn't know anything
1: and you know and you watch it and you're like oh my god these people they're like such idiots like all both their wives and husbands like they're hot you know like they can hang out can do all these things they cook dinner but being in a long-term relationship living with someone like not that i'm saying i ever think about doing this to hannah but like you can get it or at uh, to a certain point of like what it's like to actually share a life with someone and enjoy it but still like you know wonder or be bored or be
2: lonely One thing that Will mentioned when he was watching the episode and he was kind of texting us a little bit um, on the side about it, Uh, Will, you kind of made the comment about how it's like it was kind of almost alarming to you, definitely jarring to see Don kind of on his best behavior. And I I certainly find it to be a very functional part of the episode, pretty helpful uh, to unpack it. But yeah, walk, walk us through that. It sounds like you were going through a little bit of a, an existential crisis seeing Don paying attention to his wife.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, the alarm bells kind of went off because Don took his wife on a nice expensive vacation. And it's like, this seems a little off for him. And then they have yeah. passionate, loving sex. Uh, in a romantic uh, location, it's like, whoa, what's going on? What's next? Pete being, or not Pete, Don being a nice, caring, supportive father to his children.
2: Like, what's going to happen here? But as, of course, as soon as they get home, and Carl is just like, um, Sally could use her parents right now. Here's what ha-. He walks away. He doesn't right. care.
1: Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I, I would say he does start
2: the episode as a loving, supporting a father. He comes home and the
1: kids are catching lightning bugs in the backyard.
2: And oh, I mean, Betty kind of pushes him to do it, right? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> He's just what out there? I feel like, I, I feel I, I like he wanted
1: it. to. He that was like a I don't know. Was it, more also,
2: though, was it more though? He wanted to like hang out with them, or more of like lightning bugs? It sounds pretty rad. <laughs>
1: yeah, I think he was interested <laughs> in lightning bugs himself. But to to, to well, Will's point, you gotta oh, remember
0: uh, remember when he like went up to Bobby in the middle of the night and was talking about bugs and all that stuff. It kind of was like him. Mm. Trying to again reconnect with Bobby, it's like, don't you get it? The significance of the fireflies,
2: Bobby. <laughs> I totally forgot about that. That's a that's yeah. a good memory. Yeah. Sorry, you were saying something, Mike, and we cut you off three or four times.
1: Yeah, no, guys, it's okay. When you're guessing the pot, these are the things that happen. um No, just to just to Will's point of you know he's taking Betty on this expensive date. All the but that's what Don does do though. Even in the midst of his most torrid affairs. How he would then connect with his wife is to take her out on a fancy date, take her to the to a hotel, and they would make a night of it, right? So I feel like this is the easiest time for Don to feel like he can be closest with his wife. Probably because he's doing the same thing we all can do on vacations, which is put on a mask and just be our vacation selves and not be who we actually are at home and leave all of our worries and our affairs and our troubles behind, which is what really we usually see Don doing and it's interesting because now it's, it's Betty doing that
2: in this episode. Can I be honest about that though? Because like, uh, honest for me, because I, I don't know about you two. And I know this episode's talking about, it's talking about how like, you know, the point of a vacation is that you do have to come back home and the reality hits. And there's that great moment where you literally have them in the hotel room and it's bliss. And then it cuts immediately to the house of like, that's how devastating it is to have to return. But for me, I I just feel like I never have that much fun on vacations. I feel like the entire time I'm on a vacation, I just feel like I'm constantly like anxious. And I don't know if it, 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 it's probably a me thing. And I'm sure other people experience it too, but like I'm always anxious about the planning, what's going to happen next, the logistics of everything. I get stressed out very easily. I have a little, I have more of a temper. Um, I'm not, I'm not good on vacations, guys. I have to be honest with you. Best time for me on a vacation is when like I get up really early and I just like there's no one around, there's no crowds or anything, and I just wander. (laughs) And I I just feel like I I don't, I don't buy into, I don't get to, I don't experience that same level of like romanticism, you know, of like going to another country that I think other people people do i don't know
0: well i mean i was in another country but i did just come back from vacation myself that's right vacation will full force um and you know there's that moment where you get back and you're like oh god i gotta get back to work my life's back in order again i gotta go on cinemaholics i gotta go on mad men men i gotta theorize about a show that came out in the 2000s and all that um but no i mean i i think i Uh, At least as far as this past vacation goes, because I've been in similar situations where, you know, like I, I feel like I'm away, but like mentally I'm still where I usually am. And so it's harder for me to like disassociate or disconnect. But I don't know. I mean, I will say this last vacation, uh, not to brag, I was able to kind of move away from that and kind of just be present and like kind of. Well, uh, avoid life in a way is Isn't that, that
2: because you were going to every Margaritaville in the country in Canada? Mm-hmm. And so you were kind of distracted by all the Hawaiian shirts and the Jimmy sure. Buffett cult? I'm sorry, yeah. Will. And pe- listeners don't realize this, but Anytime I watch a Nettie Burback video, I keep like imagining it's you because you guys look very similar to me. Especially well, when guess, you have the mustache.
0: Yeah, I guess I was gonna say I figured it's presumably the mustache
2: you're referring to. He has a much nicer mustache than I do, though. You've had a good one in the past, but we don't have to get into that today necessarily. Yeah, don't um, cut yourself
1: short there, buddy. That's yeah, a nice seriously. mustache.
2: Yeah, the beard itself was glorious. Uh no, but uh yeah, Mike, I don't know. I feel like I feel like you've, you've gone on some fun trips lately. You've, you've you've been around. I've been around. Not as much as you've been around, John. You know,
1: Mr. I don't love vacations, but I'm going to go to like, Japan. I'm going to go to every country over the course of four months and put every podcast on hiatus. That's like, <laughs> this dude starts nine podcasts and visits nine countries. That's you'll the John the way.
2: You'll understand when you reach... This point in your thirties where it's like okay, you kind of have to like before you have kids, you kind of have to get a few things done.
1: <laughs> no, I, this is
2: your chance.
1: <laughs> I totally get it. But me and me and Hannah are for sure on the front end of that. Um,
2: it's a but, weird uh, place where you actually have like the money to do so technically, but you know you're about to not have that, and like or just the time, yeah, the time especially.
1: But no, I'm I, I gotta say I, I get your point of view, John, because that's how Hannah is, but. I got to say, that's not me, man. <laughs> I, uh, uh, maybe just, I'm, I'm just, uh, the listeners might not. I'm one of the most extroverted people that you could ever meet. And so vacations, going somewhere else. I, I'm, I, I plan it a little bit, but I'm very good at going with the flow. I love to just relax. I just want to find a good restaurant to eat. Um, I love vacations.
2: I'm glad. I I mean, I I wish I was in your shoes. Uh, I I do like vacations, to be to be clear. It's just I feel like I I don't have that same sort of and and I know the show also romanticizes it purposefully because it's trying to tell a very specific kind of story here. And and speaking of which, I think it's so interesting. We get almost no Sterling Cooper in this episode. Like, well, it's one of the least amounts of the office we get in the entire show and uh, also very little of the main cast, which I I kind of appreciate. It's like we're getting a little bit of a break with the characters, like the two main characters. Couples <clears throat> aren't really around the mm-hmm. people they're usually around. And it kind of heightens that sense of loneliness, right?
0: Yeah. I mean, there's not even a brief glimpse at Peggy, right? In this episode. Nope.
2: No, Peggy, Roger. Yeah. Not even Jane. But we do get Joan. We do get Joan. And it, it's, I, th- I thought it was interesting because in the commentary, uh, Vincent Cartizer, who plays Pete, is like, man, I never get to have scenes with Joan. So that was kind of fun. And I was like, oh, yeah, you're right. There's very little like Pete and Joan up to this point in the show, which I found kind of interesting. Actually, speaking of Joan, well, she's still around. How, yeah. What was it like? Were, were, were you kind of surprised? Were you like, oh, cool, my friend? Yeah,
0: I mean, that was pretty much my reaction. Yeah, I was like, hey, Joan's back. I mean, I know or I don't know, I, I presume that she'll remain a, a central figure of the show. Uh, so it's not like, oh, like I wasn't ever expecting to see her again, but at the same time, you know, like I didn't know when it would be when she kind of, uh, fixes herself into the show again or what have you and yeah certainly a scene like that it's deliberately played kind of coy because the way that the camera's framed and the way we kind of hold on Pete's back for a while I was like this is going to be somebody I don't know if it's going to be like a joke or like you know like I thought it was going to be like he was expecting another woman but it was like this like big burly man that's just like we have a problem here bud or something <laughs> but yeah I mean seeing it be Joan was a nice relief and yeah like similar to what you were saying it's, it's just kind of nice to have a, a, a gentle kind of nice moment between these two characters who generally don't really get to interact all that much
1: be honest be, to be completely honest with yourself there's a small part of you who thought it might be chauncey sure yeah i mean it's not impossible
0: he's he's wearing like reading glasses and a nice bow tie
2: he's like looking at the dress and be like well it's definitely our style <laughs>
0: Yeah. Um, <laughs> did you see that video recently where it's like a goat walking on two legs with a bunch of chickens? What? What <laughs> the
1: fuck? <laughs> <laughs> Hang on. There is a point to this. <laughs> oh, vacation wills brain. What the hell?
2: You just devil make care. You'll yeah. just say anything. No, I'm saying that's how
1: I imagine
0: Chauncey walking his new position at, at this uh, dress shop.
2: Well, they didn't even need to show sure Chauncey. They could have just had Joan be like, look, I don't want to have to bring this up to my boss. <laughs> he could be a yeah, real and just They see <laughs> a cutaway shot of him in his office just sitting down. <laughs> yeah, on the phone with his wife and kids. And you can tell he's just like about to right. lose his temper. <laughs> Has a little martini. <laughs> <laughs> Another thing of this episode uh, covers and addresses a lot is when men do nice things, kind things, but with ulterior motives. So you have Pete, of course, with the au pair, um, trying to cope with his loneliness and then you know, doing something nice for her with an agenda, right? And you also have Henry, um, coming in to save the day with Betty, clearly trying to get a little bit of a, a little bit of a smooch out of it. Uh, both things are pretty, I, I think, interesting to acknowledge for the time, and not just the 1960s, but also the late 2000s, because you do have the scene where I, I think, it's unambiguously rape, like what Pete is doing to to the au pair. And so, like, when I watch this, I'm like, yep, he's he's raping her, he's coercing her, he doesn't have like full consent, you know. And and I think we should acknowledge too, like, this is what the second kind of scene, like that in this season or was uh the thing with joan and greg last season actually i think it was probably was last season. season two yeah okay thank you so you know it, it, it's something that keeps happening and what's interesting you know we've talked about how matthew weiner can be you know he's he's had some uh let's say like he had a me too thing with uh, the writer kater gordon um you know being accused of like sexual harassment this is a show that you know this episode late 2000 2009 and you know In the commentary, he's having this conversation with Vincent Kartheiser and Lisa Albert about whether or not what happens is rape. And Vincent Kartheiser responds, he's just like, he's clearly not sure. And even Lisa Albert is just like, oh, she kind of gives him permission. And I'm just listening to this and I'm like, man, what a difference like 14 years Makes Because, like, these days, I think people have managed to, like, come to a place where they can acknowledge that, like, no, like, if you, because even Cartizer brings up, because the reason he says he's not sure, is he's like, you know, it, it seems like she's kind of, like, letting him do it, but also she's, like, she has no power in this situation. And so he correctly recognizes that, like, as a German au pair, like, they've even mentioned it at this point in the commentary that she kind of, like, she apologizes to him, uh to Pete, for what, for, like, rejecting him, right? And she's kind of, like, she has no power. Because she's in this country and she kind of like, quote unquote, like works for everybody. And so like he has this secret over her, she has to kind of just deal with it or try to like put it away. And so it's like super weird to me that they look at that situation and they don't understand the lack of consent. And then also that like in the episode that like they wrote. Like, she's literally like emptying boxes of Kleenexes the next day. Like, what else is that supposed to mean? So, I, I find it very interesting. I know I'm not trying to like character assassinate anyone. I, I do think that like people have had old fashioned views on this sort of thing. And, you know, I, I don't want to be like hounding anybody or anything like that. But yeah, I just thought that that was very fascinating.
1: It also just kind of shows the length we'll go, the lengths we will go to like make. Um, Like to be apologists for men, like in those situations too, and like um, justify things like that happening or make excuses, you know, that, you know, those are things that are still happening today of why things were able to happen.
2: Actually, I'm so glad you mentioned that because Weiner even like says that like, oh, the audience is supposed to be on Pete's side when she turns him down and feel like, oh, she should be like, you know, celebrating. She should be nicer to him and stuff is kind of like what he's inferring. And I'm I'm listening to that. I'm just like, what the heck are you talking about? Like he did something nice for her. And like, like she just. Is clearly uncomfortable, like, and she clearly understands like what this is, and is trying to push it away because she doesn't want it. And yeah, it's just but he like clearly doesn't acknowledge that, and I think it's it's strange because like you can kind of tell that Lisa Albert might have a different point of view on it, but she doesn't say anything because she's you know she's in a director's commentary with her boss. (laughs) Like, what is she going to say? But also, she might agree with him for all we know. Yeah, I mean,
0: I took it as pretty telling. Not only uh, that you know we we see her uh, well we hear that she's been crying all day and uh, and usually doesn't get upset so easily. But I've, I mean, I think it's supposed to be a commentary on the time that the neighbor confronts Pete but doesn't really like attack him or like hurt mm-hmm. him or accuse him really all that much. But really just kind of gives him like a stern like slap on the wrist just kind of like hey look do your you can do your business but don't do it around here. Like he's not criticizing her or criticizing him for what he did but rather just kind of being like don't mess with my affairs.
2: Yeah Cartizer calls it like uh, this is the fellowship of men you know where they have each other's backs when they do something wrong, and I'm like, yeah, unfortunately, <laughs> like that is such a thing.
1: It, well, speaking of ulterior motives, too, it's you know he's not doing it because the nanny
2: is crying. Mm-hmm. He's doing it because his wife is upset that and the it nanny is crying. Him. exactly, yeah, he doesn't care. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of that in this episode of like men just like not caring about other people, but they they also acknowledge something that happens earlier when Pete originally does the nice thing for the German au pair. Her name is uh, Gudrun. And they acknowledge that like men do this a lot, don't they? Where we, we feel like we want to do something kind for someone for the right reasons. And Cartizer says this, Cartizer is just like, men get off on that. Like they get off on like trying to be like the hero. Right. But like, usually there's all this other stuff that's like packaged into it. And so it's it's such a weird paradox of like the people making the show sort of being accidentally insightful about something. They also they don't at the same time seem to like fully contend with. So it makes it a fascinating show to rewatch for that reason, like so many years later, because like to see how things are, like how the commentary around this stuff has changed and how that informs, you know, like even when the creators themselves didn't have that firm of like a grasp on like their own art is I, I find endlessly fascinating. And you can do that with all kinds of other things, too, like Shakespeare, for example.
1: They you know, it's, it's Asteroid City. Hey, okay. I don't understand the ending of the play. Doesn't matter. Tell the story.
2: You liked Asteroid City? I
1: liked Asteroid City a lot. You know what I like yeah. more than Asteroid City? My good friend Will Ashton's review of Asteroid City.
2: He did a good review of that one. Oh, yeah. nice. It, Thanks. It was a pleasure Thanks, to, to edit. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. Are you wearing a, like a hat around your neck there, Mike? Oh, okay. Cool. I'm walking to a movie theater right after this, and so I'm wearing my sun hat because it's quite sunny. Nice. What you see What are you seeing? Uh, talk to me. Oh, nice. Yeah, I want to nice. see that.
2: I was going to watch that last night, but I was too busy. Hmm. Yeah. Oh, we
0: Doing a bonus review of that my, or John? Anyway, it's gonna be all so- relevant
2: uh <laughs> information for the listener when this episode comes let's, out. Let's let's yeah, let's keep it on Mad Men, right? Um uh, yeah, by the time they listen to this, it's gonna be like, you know, this the winter Christmas season. Um okay. Those those are the main things I wanted to bring up. I, I think that like for me, I mean we haven't talked about the Betty stuff that much um in relation to the Henry sort of thing, but what what did you think of that? What did you, what did you think of like how she kind of she seems to be really like excited by Henry and seeing him and everything? He gets the kiss. I keep going back and forth on how much that rattles her right and like why it does and how because she seems very excited by like Henry like she seems like she's being swept away but I don't know I feel like there's more to this episode than that of like her just being like oh I could be with Henry instead of Don I, th- I think it's going for something deeper but I'm curious if uh, you guys had different reads on that I know Will you know when you first saw Henry earlier in the season did you did you see this coming
0: yeah I mean I don't know, especially their, their kind of nice little uh, diner date uh, it, it was obviously very flirt Uh, We we were even talking about kind of before that, like, I don't think Henry is uh, maybe quite as like vindictive or anything, but it does kind of seem like he's making a point of interest in this because... He might want to get into Betty's pants like I think there is definitely that desire like, you know, he he wants something romantic with Betty and clearly Betty is kind of learning for yearning. I mean, for that uh, connection uh, in a way that she's not really getting something meaningful out of her marriage, at least this time with Dawn um you know like there was that like they, they have like such a kind of uh push and pull relationship even in this
2: episode um <laughs> yeah. but Weiner, yeah. Weiner says that like he's so different from Don because he's or I think Lisa Albert says this it's like he's just Henry is like a direct nice guy and there's such a contrast to the way he talks to Betty even in this episode like when Don plays that game with her and like how he just sort of he everything he says is sort of like ambiguous and kind of mysterious there's a mystique but it also fuels the the chemistry that brought Don and Betty together. And she talks, Betty talks about that chemistry with Sally, right? Where Mm -hmm. she's like, every kiss after the first one is a shadow of it. And she's talking about Don in that moment. She's talking about how, you know, they can recapture it briefly in a place like Rome, but it kind of goes away. So that's why when I watch this, I'm just like, she's, it's almost like she's realizing that like, man, even this Henry guy, that same excitement's going to go away. Mm -hmm. And it's like, what's the point?
0: Yeah. But, um, also I was going to say that, uh, like part of the thrill I feel like with Rome is that it's meant to be kind of evocative of when they were younger and like, you know, kind Mm -hmm. of more spontaneous and flirtatious uh, as a couple. But it seems like, you know, like obviously Henry is an older guy and he's like, you know, doesn't hide. He has like gray hair. You know, he, he carries himself. Uh, as an older gentleman but then like even in Rome even though it's kind of evocative of like their earlier relationship between Don and Betty like there is something about it with Don being kind of older and it kind of reminds her of Henry a little bit in that moment you know even with the two uh, Italian guys like talking about like Don is like old and ugly or whatever uh you know like she tells Don that they said he was ugly but they never said that He was old, which I think is kind of interesting that that's kind of the thing that might even attract, uh, in part, uh, Don to Betty at that moment. Mm -hmm. Or Betty to Don, I mean.
1: I think something that we have acknowledged that is also really important is that this is the perfect time for Henry to be coming in Betty. I mean, coming into Betty's (laughs) life. Um, Because Betty's daddy just died, right? (laughs) And she is so wrapped up mentally with this weird fucking relationship she had with her parents and specifically her father. And so, an older man coming into her life who is powerful and, but not just powerful, but effective and wielding that power, um, I think is something just incredibly enigmatic and attractive to someone mm-hmm. like betty and it's probably the thing she that's what you see when she when, when he kisses her right it's yeah. i think it's that that kind of lightning she's feeling but she can't really understand where it's coming from well not yeah. just
2: not just in her father's car too right but right. also she's wearing the outfit she wore to uh, her father's house after he had the stroke mm-hmm. and so like it, it's very clearly her trying to like yeah enter a certain mindset damn i didn't even notice about the clothes you you fashion police that was no that was director's commentary i had to it saved for trivia but i had to whip that out i didn't notice Are you kidding me my sense of fashion look at me i'm sorry you were saying something about?
0: yeah no no i was just gonna point out the uh uh the fact that they have a kiss in
2: gene's old car mm. but uh yeah i mean don't tell you want- sally sally would lose her <laughs> Right, <laughs> I know you're anxious to talk about Sally. Will. I don't want to rush or anything, but I know uh, that's been bothering you yeah. quite a bit. What happens with her? And uh, well, sure. I mean, you know, she's been. In general.
0: Uh, you know, like these—the second season and the third season. Um, you know, she's been, you know, kind of on a mini little crime spree. I feel like there's a uh, a history of violence going on with her—violence,
2: uh, sexual assaults on the neighbor kid. Um, it's it's one thing after another, isn't it? Geez.
0: yeah. I mean, I wasn't going to go that far, but sure.
2: <laughs> well, I mean, we were talking about consent earlier, and she clearly. Uh, there's that great scene too, or that that moment where, you know, she's looking in the mirror and her mother comes up and puts her makeup on and like Sally's watching her just like fascinated, you know, by her mother. And it's just like, you can see her like starting to like the, the gears are starting to like turn of like, that could be like what I'm like when I grew up in this, like feeling like she has to to grow up and get to that point in her life. And it makes the conversation that Betty has with her later in the episode, all the more compelling when like she's talking to her about like how to like basically giving her like advice on like how to treat men and or you know how to like treat these situations with men um and how to like not you know cheapen herself or like cheapen her worth and things like that and it's it's there's something kind of tragic about it because you just sort of see like history repeating itself or like an, on the verge of doing that um in a lot of ways because there's even that moment where like Betty literally walks into the room she looks at the fainting couch which is of course the metaphor for for Henry the and kind of implying that she's thinking about the kiss that she just had with Henry, right before she talks to Sally about, you know, this whole thing about like the the kiss with Ernie. One thing that is interesting to point out is like, she, she talks to Sally about that. She doesn't care that much that like Sally had this super violent, like outburst, right? Like, and then that's just sort of swept under the rug and not dealt with, which is just, I don't know. It's just very fascinating. I guess because Betty looks at that and it's just like, I would have done the same thing. Bobby annoys the hell out of me. How great though is the new actor for Bobby? What are we on now? Like nine, 10 actors, yeah, this is Bobby number thirteen, I think. No, no, Bobby yeah. number two. Um, and uh, some say the best Bobby, but uh, I'm, I'm gonna wait until we uh, you know, we're, out, we're we finish the first couple dozen before I start to yeah.
1: I I do really like that with with Sally, as much as she's you know a criminal and in the future you know spoiler alert will become a Lee Harvey Oswald apologist. Um, sure. She uh, I just you know I think we can all remember that you know being being young and you know first kisses and you know playing house was something i used to do as a kid a lot which is clearly like what they were doing um and it's just like this i think it's so interesting to to juxtapose kids playing house and just wanting to be older and then seeing the loneliness of the adults in this episode who seemingly have everything that these kids are play pretending to have and yet it's you know it's not what they want
2: all right so I want to just kind of go through basically my notes on this episode and, uh, you know, include some trivia along the way. Let's put it all together. Why not? So when the episode starts, I I kind of love how we see Pete reading the Ebony magazine, um, which if you recall, he tried to like pitch to which, which, which one was it? Uh, oh yeah. Admiral, the TV mm. people of like, Oh, put your ads in Ebony magazine. And I just think it's so Pete that like now he's reading it. <laughs> like sure. on the one hand, I like, can't, can't let it go but also like i mean he generally finds it interesting apparently
0: i think betty should have been reading the ivory magazine nice yeah is there
2: is there an ivory magazine or are you just doing the joke i'm just doing the joke okay i mean I there think, might I be mean, an i mean there are a ton of magazines i mean there it's are. called
1: ivory magazine is just called martha stewart
2: Mm. there you go um Matthew Weiner has said that this episode was an attempt to tell a couple of short stories but it was really about a summer romance uh, people leave town and things happen and he's, he's kind of ambiguous usually he's a little bit more specific with the themes but he also says later uh, in the commentary that he's like sometimes like these themes kind of these themes kind of come together on their own and that they don't have a lot of conversations about like theoretically what the show is about uh, which I think contradicts what other things he said <laughs> so I don't really get it there's also this moment where like Hilde you know, We've noticed that like she's being nicer to Pete than she has, for example, in, like the first season. And uh, Cartheiser has pointed out that the reason that Hilde seems to be like sweeter to Pete uh, in particular is because of the adoption story from season two. Apparently that like really endeared her to him or endeared him to her. However, that is properly constructed, which I buy. Like, I think that Hildy just always saw Pete. I think Hildy is like the audience, like watching Pete in this show and just being like, what a jerk. But then like we see him do something like basically human, uh, not the adoption thing, but like, you know, just in general, pe- people will do something kind of like, oh, yeah, a human being acts that way. And we're like, I love Pete. <laughs> I mean, I'm not like that, but yeah, maybe some people.
0: I mean, I would love if we got to spend more time with Hildy. I feel like she's always like in like two
2: scenes max of the show. I think they orig- they were going to do more with her, but, uh, after the Harry stuff in season one, I think they just moved away from using her character much. That's a she? Um, when, uh, Pete offers a drink to like, uh, I'm- anyone want to drink? I'm buying all that stuff. Uh, the implication, according to, uh, Weiner, <laughs> is that the smash cut means that nobody wants one, um, uh, which I mean, I feel a little bit bad for him, you know, it's like nobody wants to have a drink with him, but at the same time I get it. I don't know. Um, do you guys think that Betty, you know, why do you guys think Betty is so interested in this water project, the the reservoir thing? Is it just because of Henry or, you know, is it also because she wants to keep herself kind of preoccupied because it, it's said that like Don has been away a lot. So is it like maybe both? Is there one thing more than the other? I was kind of curious about that. Are you implying that she wants to get wet? He's not
1: not implying
2: it. Yeah, uh, there you go.
1: But the, the water project obsession starts before Henry, right? I mean, he gets he gets involved after she does.
2: She brings it Or
1: Well, he's, there. totally. Yeah, yeah. So I don't think it's, you know, either that I, my read on it is that, you know, she just had another kid and she's fighting just becoming the suburb housewife and being like it feels like this last kid probably ingrains her in it. So she wants to feel yeah. important. She
2: wants to do something. She wants a little project, um, although it's kind of it's it's just there's that moment, right, where Don it gets on the phone. And he literally writes down the phone number or whatever, like, or the address or whatever it was on Betty's stuff, her, like the stuff she's doing for the reservoir. <laughs> it's like a very Don and Betty kind of moment.
1: It's also just really great writing to the to, to show how much Don, you know, lets her do her thing, but just does not give a shit or think it's important. Exact.
2: We get another fun moment where Pete is watching Saturday morning cartoons. Uh, this time, Davy and Goliath, which uh, is a '60s cartoon, uh, kind of. Yes. Uh, you're you're a fan, Will? Oh, I mean, I mean, you know, I love stop motion
0: animation and claymation. Uh, you know, any chance I can get, especially unexpectedly, to see a little bit of claymation, especially from the '60s, uh, makes my heart a flutter. Same here. Never seen Davy and Goliath. I don't know the premise, but I assume I, it's great. I feel like I might have watched that one in like a like sunday school kind of program mm. when i was younger it, it looked vaguely familiar but i don't know, maybe, when i see it i yeah. think
2: of like moral oral you know so. sure
0: i mean that's definitely more oral is like modeled off of that type yeah. of animation to be sure i still need to see more oral i, I feel like that show is like 100 percent for me i just have never gotten around to watching it
2: but it is pretty good i don't know if it, it would be too up i don't know if it would be too obtuse for you but yeah i can, see, I can see you liking it for
0: me yeah Wait, well, I'm curious. What you mean by that?
2: Well, you know how you can sometimes be like uh, not obtuse. I guess. I mean, what do we what do we mean by obtuse? Am I defining I it know. right? I don't know. It's like when you look at a triangle and it's.
1: He thinks you're more than ninety
2: degrees, bro. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Mike, Mike's treating it like we're like some kind of like street like yeah. um, geography <laughs> class. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. We're all wearing like really big jackets. <laughs> um. The actress who plays, oh yeah, doing the sharks. The actress who plays uh, Gudrun, uh, I'm going to bring up her name actually here, uh, but she actually is a German actress. Um, and so apparently when they brought her in, uh, uh, Nina Rausch, apparently when they were bringing her in to do the role, she was trying to hide her German accent. And Weiner and them are like, no, 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 no. <laughs> we want you to actually use like a German accent. That's like part of the. The story here, and uh Cartizer has said that like this whole thing where we're watching Pete kind of just wander through his day aimlessly, you kind of see that like he's lonely, he is vulnerable, which Matthew Minor says, and when he doesn't have Trudy to dictate his schedule, that that's what happens, right? And I think it's interesting because it's like I get that, but it's also I don't know, it's just, it's just, I just I wonder how relatable that is uh to people like do do you feel like that mike like you need to have somebody like like do do you find yourself kind of like reverting to a bachelor when it's just you like hannah goes away or something like that
1: so hannah was gone for two days just last week and weekend before and uh, i did so many things i like first thing i did was cleaned up my dvr I went in and deleted like hours of things we were never going to watch and just like really tailored that down. And I watched a movie that she would never want to watch. There will be blood. And, uh, (laughs) you know, but then it's like, I live in that glory for about eight hours and then I'm like, well, that's it. Yeah, I'm done.
2: (laughs) I did the things. (laughs) Yeah, it is, it is. It's a strange thing. You know, it, it, it's I always feel a little uneasy, you know, when the you know, yeah, when the when the house sort of like energy like shifts, right? And like one person just isn't there for a long time. It, it feels really weird. I feel the same way when I'm away. I wonder if that like feeds into my like vacation anxiety. Because even when when I'm with Melissa, like on a vacation, and we're having fun. It's like the house energy is like, not there, and it's like, I just wonder if like a weird part of me has this like insecurity or something for like home, you know, maybe I need to talk to a psychiatrist. I hear that Jones husband might be the ticket. He might be able to help me through a lot of this stuff. I can't even finish that.
1: I do um, love the show's commentary of like, what a downgrade it is going from a surgeon to a psychiatrist. Like, <laughs> just, you know, yeah, what the
0: doctors of think stuff. of that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, mean, I mean, even Pete kind of like raises eyebrows a
1: little bit, like, oh, oh, okay. It is yeah. a 60s though. Yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> I would say well, it's even worse, isn't it?
1: Yeah, well, because it's like you know, People mental health is important.
2: Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um yeah. Uh, and then Cartizer says that uh, when he's talking to the nanny, Cartizer uh, doesn't think he necessarily expects anything to happen. Um, but this is the moment that I mentioned earlier where he's like, you know, I think we get off as men helping someone out for, you know, the right reasons. And I mean, that resonates with me a lot. Like this feeling that like, like men helping each other, me- like other men, like in this episode are trying to, it's just like, we want to help people. Sometimes we have a direct ulterior motive. Sometimes we just have the feeling of like, doing something good. The ulterior motive can just be vague. It can just be like, I'll feel good about it. Or, you know, it'll make me feel like a man to come through for someone or to provide something for someone. And I always find this very, like a very weird, a weird feeling. It's like weird place to be as a guy because on the, because we're sort of like brought up, we're raised to be like that, right? We're raised to believe in things like chivalry and like, you know, being of service to others. And we, but we aren't also taught like the dark side of that, how that can go wrong. And I think there's such a tricky balance to it. There's such a delicate balance to it. And I've always been curious, like how, you know, what, what's so different about like the way, you know, women do this, because I think women are very kind to people. Women do selfless things for people all the time and they don't have that same sort of like hero complex. And so it makes me wonder like, what is it about like the way culture sort of like teaches that lesson to, to women, you know, and, and I'm, I'm obviously excluding like non-binary folks on, you know, not intentionally, but you know, I, I just find it very fascinating of like why that gets so distorted on the male side of things. I mean, I think
0: part of that is that women in our kind of patriarchal society are kind of raised to be expected to be sort of motherly or like caring and stuff. So I think there is sort of but men are grain. too, right?
2: But no, not, not in well, the wait, same way, but
0: that's what I'm saying. Is that like, I, like you're talking about like chivalry, like, like the sense of like men are expected to like, hold doors for women and like, you know, be a gentleman and stuff. But Go
2: to war and die. And, right, sure. you know, like, well, and there are people who like say that like women should never be in the military. Like, you know, that, that that's when, you know, society's broken, even though like every country, like every like superpower has women in the military, but there's this feeling of like, well, men need to step in and do that. Men need to, you know, all this stuff. And yeah, I just, I think it's, it's weird because like it's I don't get that same sense from like, I just feel like when, um, and I, I you know, I could be totally, misunderstanding of this but i just get the feeling like for a lot of women it, there's not that same kind of baggage when they're just decent to other people you know generally speaking like they could just are and it, it comes across as authentic and like no ulterior motive um uh, or at least as pervasively so I, I know i have to like address it because obviously like there's exceptions to everything so i think it's interesting and i don't even think this episode is reckoning with that i just think it's something a you know a new show could address
1: you know it, maybe it maybe a new movie I would love to see what Greta Gerwig would do with,
2: with that kind of idea. Thank thank you. Thank you, Mike. I didn't even think about Barbie, which we did we have all watched now. But uh yeah, I mean yeah, kind of. Yeah. That's, that's like an entire movie. <laughs> yeah, it is, isn't it? And I think I don't think it kind of dances with it. I don't think it like goes like fully into like what it is about like dudes that like causes this. I I don't think it's like anything natural. I think it's all like society it's all about it's all societal stuff we make up sure but yeah
1: it is what we make up because again i know it's Men, and this is the last thing i'll say about barbie but spoilers if you haven't seen barbie fast forward to 30 seconds but ken doesn't do any of that stuff till he learns about patriarchy exactly, right yeah, yeah he copies it right and it's all an act
0: yeah yeah and i mean the the lesson for ken ultimately among Several lessons, I suppose, is that like Ken needs to learn to be his own individual self. Like he kind of molds himself off of what men are expected to be. And like a lot of that comes down to like the horse jokes where he's just kinda like, you know, he his main interest kind of just seems to be about horses and thinks that <laughs> it factors more into the patriarchy than it
2: actually does. <laughs> One of the best jokes of the movie. But uh, yeah, we obviously we don't want to go too far in, into, into Barbie here. And they did fast forward 30 seconds. Right. But um, yeah, if you no, want I mean, to hear
1: more about Barbie, my good friend Will Ashton is on a podcast called Cinemaholics that just covered an episode of it. So
0: that is true. Yeah. And probably by the time this episode comes out, it'll be available on DVD.
2: <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, that kind of brings us to the court hearing where, uh, you know, we mentioned like Betty's wearing that outfit and stuff. Uh, Weiner says that she wears it cause she knows it's a dynamite outfit. Great adjective. But, uh, they, he mentions how like they wanted Henry to have an entrance. They wanted Henry to like come in, save the day and be that sort of like Betty's fantasy of like a man coming in to save a woman. And yeah, again, I, this is one of those things where I just, I find myself a little conflicted on how much of this Betty really is entertaining and welcoming versus how much of her is also kind of conflicted. Like, does she really want it to go that far? Because later on in the episode, you see like, she seems very guilty about the kiss. Like when she's in the kitchen with Don, you see a, like a look on her face when they hug and stuff. And I think that's the main reason why they they don't let Don be too Don in this. Like he's, as Will already covered, like He's kind of caring. He's hanging out with the kids. He's kind of just being like normal. Um, he's not cheating on her right now, <laughs> which is just so funny. And at the end of the episode, Lisa Albert even says, he's just like, that's the the magic trick of this. An episode like this is that by the end, a lot of the audience is going to be on Don's side, you know, even though he doesn't deserve it at all. Right. Well- and like it- Every other episode he's the obviously the villain
0: i mean he's kind of in a way like filling in the role for betty like betty is the one that's having like kind of the affair that's you know like kind of assuming false identities and stuff Uh, one thing i never really got to bring up is that uh how did betty learn um
2: italian so well she was uh so it was mentioned in the show already that she spent a summer in Italy. Uh, Actually, uh, Mike and I were talking about this before you came on, because we were talking about how she mentions a character, I think it's season one, uh, who she knew who was like when she was a model and that he was Italian, like when she was living in Italy and like Francine assumes like, I I don't remember if it was Francine or one of her other girlfriends, but like somebody, basically they're like, oh, so you like slept with this guy? Oh my gosh, how scandalous. And he's like, no. (laughs) And I think the implication is that we have like a another kind of Salvatore situation where like a gay man kind of in the context of, like, mm-hmm. in this case, the 1950s. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. I mean, I did, I, uh, things remind me about that because I would forgotten
2: yet about her, uh, rendezvous in uh, Italy as a model. Yeah. I mean, this is, this is the interesting, interesting thing about the show is that they trust the audience to just sort of go with it, even if they don't remember that. Because in the context of the show, it's, you know, it's been a couple of years since that was established, but sure. you got to piece it together. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see here. Uh, I don't have too much else. We have the stuff with Pete and Joan in the store and, uh, Cartez says that, uh, or well, Matthew Weiner says that like, it's so interesting how Pete is being kind of reasonable. And, and calm here like compare this scene to the chip and dip thing like he does kind of lose it but he, he's a little bit more assured and confident than the chip and dip episode and i know chip and dip that's uh one of will that's one of your favorite gimmicks the show's ever gone into um, i think that's more mike than me right i thought no was-
1: you lost your mind for the chip and dip oh did you I? Know,
2: your name in
1: my phone to this day is still chip and dip <laughs> is it really is that right
2: yes <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah, I don't, don't know if this is it it
2: big motherfucker. <laughs> but, yeah, yeah. Well well it's just like well, I think Mike is the one who has a bit of a trip on his shoulder. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. Good pun. Um no, but uh yeah, that car uh Weiner even says he's just like, you know, you can't even tell that like you can't easily tell that Pete is lying here. And Cartizer says like the faster somebody answers something, the more likely they're lying. And then Whiter kind of laughs that off. He's just like, uh, not all the time. <laughs> he's just like, for me, it's like, if I'm taking a long time, I can't, I have to like really plan out a lie. And he's just like, I was just trying to like lie about Cater Gordon, for example. And, uh, you know, I had to spend, uh, oh, I'm sorry, I'm being, I'm, being <laughs> <laughs> um Yeah. Back in Rome, um, so the the hotel room set in the Hilton, uh, Weiner was kind of like pointing it out as like, oh, man, this is something they're particularly proud of because it's it's like a very modern room, a very modern hotel room. It's a change of pace for luxury hotels at the time to have that kind of box shape with the balcony and everything. And uh, apparently that is like a thing. Like we to us, I think we sort of take for granted what hotel rooms are like now. Um, but it, it it's kind of lost on me how much Hilton in particular shaped the, the modern hotel and what it was like going to hotels like that are connected to each other brand wise all over the world. So, you know, cause you can see that like, everybody knows it's a big deal for Sterling Cooper to have Hilton. But, uh, yeah, I guess f- for me, like it, it, there's like that further like realization that like it is a big deal.
1: What was the layout then before Hilton?
2: I think it's like more like what we see with like the roadside motels. It's like a very sort of different, um, aesthetic, right? Like the warped mirror and it's a bit wider. It has a like, there's more of like a narrow look to it. Um, Oh yeah. That does
0: remind me. Um, this episode focuses a lot on mirrors. Like there's several scenes where characters are like in the mirror, like she, like with Betty, like using, um, uh sally's mirror to like put on her makeup there's like wh- a shot in the hotel that's framed very exactly so you like s- like it's like dawn is like off kilter because you can like see the mirror in the center of the frame uh, there was supposed he, to be
2: a moment yeah. where betty looks in the mirror after the kiss with henry but weiner says they took it out hmm. yeah so i mean is that
0: like kind of reflecting uh <laughs> reflecting. no pun intended like the the lack of self-awareness of the characters and like their inability to kind of like look within themselves and like
2: explore. I think it's a device. I think it's supposed to like give you the impression of like how the characters see themselves. And so it's like shorthand for that. And it's trying to get you into the mind space of like the character is thinking about who they are because it's not a book you can't get into their heads it's the same kind of thing we've seen like you know the stuff with a basket of kisses i think it was where peggy there's a lot of mirror stuff in that because you're you're trying to get into peggy's head for the same reason actually no it wasn't it wasn't basket of kisses i think it was ladies room because that directly was like they're in like the ladies room like looking in the mirrors and you see the reflection it
1: was ladies room
2: yeah yeah um so i think it's a very helpful device and i think it's smart though that they use it They sometimes use it sparingly, like they try to avoid overdoing it.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's been other examples of it, like uh, that one episode where at the end, Don's like looking in the mirror when he's like shaving after a shower. Uh, And then there's like
2: Peggy saying bye bye birdie into the mirror. And there's like
0: other examples. Yeah,
2: for sure. For sure. Um, I don't have too much trivia left and we're almost out of time. So I'm going to rip right through it. Uh, The view of Rome from the hotel room is a real view from the Hilton in Rome that they got, which was pretty cool. Um, and then you'll notice too, like when they're laying in the bed after the uh, the international trip, uh, very relatable, but also they, they purposely try to make everything feel different, like them being on the opposite sides of the bed, like the water being different. Um, Weiner has also said that, uh, you know, they don't usually do like cutting edge fashion in the show because it wasn't all that common back then, especially for people, you know, just to wear all the time. But uh, like her beauty power, outfit was like a very specific thing that he wanted to get across. And also like Don uh, is wearing that same uh, suit he wore in California, that kind of light gray suit. And so they wanted to bring in that, like that feeling of California, that feeling of like Don being like essentially like in a new place, kind of resetting, being a different person and all of that. Uh, they didn't say that I'm reading that into it. Um Conrad Hilton really did say by golly all the time, apparently, uh, which I didn't know that. Um and also this 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 really hit me. So Weiner, Weiner mentioned how he thinks the point of the episode, the point of the story in this episode is that we're supposed to see that there's hope for Don and Betty's relationship working. And like this is what happens when Don gives Betty his full attention, even though we never really see that. But then that all comes crashing when they come back and Don immediately reverts back to not paying attention to his wife. And I guess that really hit me because it's like you know, I seen I think we've seen that very clearly, but we haven't always seen it play out like with such a clear example of like how much Don falls short in that regard, in, in terms of like being there for his wife and really treating her as a as someone he genuinely loves. Yeah. Sorry, sorry I, th- I thought Mike was going <laughs> to say something, so I, I left it open, but I I uh, you know I misread the room. Yeah. No, I I love
1: my wife, John. I uh, I don't
2: know. <laughs> this is your opportunity. Yeah. Uh, you're not married to her yet. You're about to be oh?
0: well, yeah. by the time this episode comes out, he'll be married <laughs> yeah. with four we're gonna see if keeps
2: doing that joke, yeah, 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 yeah. The the 2024 election will be over, Mike yeah. will be married, yeah, yeah. Um, Cardi B won, <laughs> I voted for. Her. Um, there's also this thing that uh, Weiner says, um, and I'm curious if you guys are going to agree with this because I find it questionable. The Weiner claims like when we see Don and Betty the morning after they have their like passionate, you know, thing. Um, coitus. Um, Weiner says, like, Don is always willing to be like this with Betty. Like, he'd like for his life to be like this, but he still just doesn't do it. And I'm like, I guess he wants that, but does he really like? I, I, I think I, I don't know. I kind of question it. You know, I I kind of question like what really drives his motivation there.
0: I mean, we've discussed this before, but I think there is an inherent fear of of Dawn's, whether intentionally or not, of being tied down. Like, I think there's a fear because of his upbringing of that domesticity. Like, he's afraid that he'll be his father or something like that. So there's, he always kind of leaves the door open for, like, leaving and, like, kind of assuming a new life, the, the, the hobo way or whatever. And I mean, we are coming off of the episode, I think the last episode, right, where he had to sign the contract and, like, kind of assume that he'll be in uh, um, Sterling Cooper for uh, um, the next three years or so. So, I mean, that is interesting how this episode where he's, like, trying to be more of a, like, caring, responsible husband and whatnot uh, and apply himself at work. But, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I think we should all do our best, by golly, impression of Connie. I already did a, by golly. I know, but we, Mike and I haven't.
2: Okay, well, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead,
0: Well, You
1: brought it up
2: all right by golly that's really breathy <laughs> like, <laughs> it sounds you sound like connor like during sex i would know
1: oh, by golly
2: should we just end but, the
0: episode there now or do you you want to do this trivia well the other have?
2: trivia i had is the so that you know the scene repeat Trudy are in the elevator and the O'Pair pair comes in with the kids there originally was going to be more to that scene. Um, they were going to have more of like a confrontation between Pete and the au pair. But then Weiner chose to cut that because he thought that it added to the anxiety to not do anything there. Um, and they also mentioned how he loves that. Like Pete never says anything. His eyes tell Trudy that he like cheated on her and everything. And so I, I love those two scenes with like Pete and Trudy because like you, you clearly see how with Don and Betty, like the whole thing with them, like, they go on this vacation and everything, there is cheating, but, like, in their relationship, what happens pulls them apart. But with Pete and Trudy, you weirdly see them kind of dr- brought together by the same kind of, like, infidelity, which I think is just a very fascinating study and look at, like, the differences in relationships and how people in relationships interact with each other, essentially.
1: Yeah, and there, we didn't talk about it, but their their dinner conversation was incredibly interesting and intense and, and yeah. you know i think it's also worth mentioning right that it's the first one compared to don and betty who this is kind of recurring theme in their marriage um and this is really the first time i mean obviously pete's cheated on her before but this is the first time that they are, as a couple are are doing
2: yeah and i mean i think that that's what the episode's trying to say about relationships in general uh weiner weiner says that uh you know, Francine talking to Betty about how she wants to go back to Spain with uh Carlton. I mean, he says that's the crux of the episode. That Betty is looking at the situation that she's in as a wife. And she doesn't want to keep on like this. She doesn't want her life to just be like, I'm gonna go on vacation, and I'm gonna have this band to the fact that like I don't really have a romance. She just wants a romance. She just wants to be in love. And I think that she is looking at the situation, like I said before. And doesn't even buy that she would be able to have that with Henry. She just knows that, I think she's kind of like hitting hit with the realization, like she is coming of age in this almost, um, and realizing to herself that this is what happens with any relationship, that like, you can't just be in love forever. And I think she has, she's like kind of forming a cynical view. And that's why she, you know, she looks at the gift the way that she does, because it, it doesn't bring her any comfort. And I love, love the look on Don's face. Because he is just like and so he's so devastated by it to see that she just completely shuts it down, you know, his like little gesture there. And I think part of it is because he looks at it as, you know, he, he's not he's not gonna be able to like maintain this, that like he that she is just not going to settle for what he's trying to offer her. And I think I think it's really brilliant. Um, and I'm sure like, you know, Will, like what was what was your read on that? Because I'm sure like when I first watched it, I felt a little bit like, man. Kind of, you know, kind of a surprising gut punch in some ways. But what was your reaction? Um,
0: yeah, I don't know. I mean, I I do kind of feel like in some respects we are potentially watching the dissolve of a marriage. But it's always sort of fascinating to me because, like, every episode where I'm like, okay, this is it, this is like where uh, the curtains are going to come up, I'm like, oh, okay, like they're actually kind of rekindling and and like maturing and are seemingly in a healthy relationship. But yeah, I mean. You know, the episode is called Souvenir, and we have, like, this little trinket that Dawn gets. And I feel like there's a part of her that feels like it's sort of cheapened by that, that just becomes, like, this little thing that she's supposed to, like, hold on to, and that becomes materialized uh, in a very specific sort of way. And, uh, you know, I mean, Betty is someone who, like, kind of wants to feel uh youthful in some respects like wants to have that sort of like spontaneity doesn't really want to be kind of like dawn i think kind of tied down to this sort of domesticality there is this sort of fear of hers of also becoming her mother uh and so yeah i don't know i mean it's i don't know i I think dawn is like being very earnest and sincere but uh you know there's there seems to be this kind of growing divide between Betty and uh, Don and uh, I don't know what that spells out for the future.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more, though, the, the whole thing. Um, so.
0: Yeah, I mean, we didn't really get to talk about Trudy much, but I think we're running out of time.
2: Yeah, I mean, she's Trudy. She does her thing. I mean, she's not but in I it mean, much.
0: I don't know. I just think it's fascinating and I'll try not to talk too long about this, but like like this one scene that we have is our intro is like the most generally sort of like steamy and romantic scene between them. Like, usually there is, like, a very sort of plastic romanticality between them.
2: They were pretty steamy the first season. Um, like, when they first get married and stuff. And, like, we, we can remark, too, on how it looks like Pete is trying to rekindle the same thing he did with Peggy with the au pair in the wake of that.
0: I guess so. I don't know. I just feel you, like...
2: You have the whole scene where, like, she's, like, trying to, like, coax him to bed or whatever in the first season. Like, sure. you know, kissing him and stuff. and. I don't know what yeah, this anti-Trudy just, stuff is going on. Like, It's not you know,
0: anti-Trudy. Like, I'm just saying I feel like it's more anti-Pete. Like, I just feel okay. like he's the one that, like, you know, if any of us were lucky enough to be Dave Franco and be with, um, you know, with Alison Bree, I feel like you shouldn't fuck it up and, uh,
2: you know. <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I hear what you're saying. And I think that, yeah, Trudy is a very pragmatic person. And I think that, like, Pete said just the right thing to her of like, I basically telling her is like, you can't trust me to be alone. But like, I think she brings that in as sort of like, I have power over this man. I control this man. And there's something about it. I think kind of satisfies her in a kind of a almost kind of twisted way.
0: I mean, you're talking about Hildy kind of like being softened by Pete's uh, desire to like adopt children. Like Mm -hmm. Trudy also sort of misreads that elevator situation as like, yeah, yeah. She thinks it's awkward and like that he's sort of like wide eyed because yeah, he thinks about Yeah. 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 He's guilty about not being able to be a father, but rather it's, you know, something else that Trudy either learns about or like does like feels it's healthier to like not know and just kind of uh, acknowledge that they need to be closer uh, to avoid whatever happened.
2: There you go. Mike, uh, did you have any final word before we uh, say goodbye to everybody listening? Hey,
1: just keep your affairs outside of where you live. You know, easiest way not to get caught.
2: Wow. By golly. (laughs) By golly. golly. (laughs) All right. See everybody.